Come join the most amazing live mentorship and accountability group for entrepreneurs every morning. Let's go. The, the Morning Meetup. Do you have a business idea you need to get off the ground? Do you currently work a nine to five and are looking for supplemental income? Come and network with like-minded individuals and take your business to the next level. Every morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with David Shand and friends. Try The Morning Meetup today for just $1. Head over to themorningmeetup.com. That's themorningmeetup.com. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good day to you, wherever you are, whoever you are. Welcome back to the Oliver Perry Show. I've got another great guest today. She has been featured on... Uh, business insider. She is an animal when it comes to the landlord world, and I want to make sure you guys get to meet her. And she's got a really dope name. So let's get into it. Are you starting your journey into real estate business or entrepreneurship? Are you in need of strategies to help you reach your daily goals? That's right. Then the Oliver Perry Show is for you. Come and get the experiences and strategies to help you be successful. And now, your host. You know who it is. Oliver Perry. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Miss Becky Nova. Becky, good morning to you. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you this morning, Oliver? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. I love doing that. It's not even for me, and I love it. All right. So, so Becky, I know the audience doesn't have a full background on you. I've read your bio and a few other things on you, but I want to make mm-hmm. sure you give the opp- I give you the opportunity to talk to them, tell you who you are. Sure. So I always explain myself as being a cancer researcher by day and a real estate investor by night. That is what I've done professionally for a long time. Um, plan on leaving it soon, though, thanks to real estate. Um, I always explain I actually never thought I would even end up being in real estate investing. I lived abroad for quite a bit of time during my 20s. I actually left the cancer research world and when I moved to Europe, I used to own a tour company in Spain. I then moved over to Portugal. I expanded and bought a bar in Portugal. I bought a bus that took people from Spain to Portugal. Um, But unfortunately, I made a really bad business decision while I was out there and lost everything, moved back to the States in about 2013 and had to rebuild. I still never planned on owning property. I figured I would come back, go back to cancer research, make money and move abroad again. But at the time, I ended up meeting my now husband, who is an immigrant from the Dominican Republic. And he had very much that American dream of the white picket fence <laughs> and everything. So he really wanted to buy that house. And I said, okay, you know, we'll compromise. We're going to buy that house. But we need to do it in a way where we can make money and not be living mortgage payment to mortgage payment. Right. So I always tell everyone I had the best idea in the world. We were going to buy a multifamily, live in one side, rent out the other, totally unique. No one else had thought of this <laughs> um, at the time. And honestly, when we got to the closing table and I got that first check from our tenants, I was just hooked. And I was like, we got to do this again. And that was when I found the entire world of real estate investing. And since then, in the past three years, we've bought um, 10 doors and we own property in New York, where we currently live, mm-hmm. right outside of the city. And then we also own property in the Dominican Republic, where my husband's from. Wow, that's awesome, <laughs> Becky. That's really cool. Okay, you. so you've done, you've done quite a bit. So let's, let's just go from the beginning. Sure. What's what's really interesting is there's a lot of people who are listening to the podcast who might be brand new to real estate investor in that in intermediate level. Mm-hmm. My first question for you is how did you handle 
that fear and that discomfort when you started out? Because that's you're going into a whole new thing. You had a, this amazing exclusive idea nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> and you're like, OK, we're going to go for it. What was that thought process and how did you kind of deal with that, that negativity, that fear that you comes with it? Sure. So in my relationship, I am kind of the person that jumps. I'm a little bit more of the risk taker. <laughs> so to me, I was just kind of like, I don't know, we'll just try it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Mm. Kind of like that whole losing a business in Europe. Mm. So I wasn't as necessarily concerned. What I was able to do at that time and how I'm able to kind of move past some of those things is one, I do a quick enough amount of research. Like I said, it's kind of what I do professionally. So I'm able to go through figure out what I need to learn. And then once I have that information, I can move on. So I know a lot of people, and we always talk as real estate investors about that whole analysis paralysis thing, which is totally true. And people get really stuck there because you end up doing that research. But there has to be a point when you say, okay, I've done my research. I've done my due diligence. Now I can move forward. And I feel like that's the piece that a lot of new real estate investors miss is at what point they can move forward. So what I did to get over that part was you have to find those experts. I think it's really important to find somebody that knows what they're doing, that you can bounce those ideas off of, that you can speak to and make sure that you have your information, but then kind of go to somebody else and be like, hey, so I looked at this deal. It looks like the numbers are like this. Can you take a look to and agree with me? Is this a good idea? You know what I'm looking for. Here's my criteria. Can you confirm that this does actually match that? And for me, that was actually my realtor. Um, I was able to find, after going through a lot of bad realtors, I was able to find a great realtor that I was able to kind of bounce those questions off of. And my mortgage broker was really helpful kind of covering those numbers for me. So that way I was like, I did my homework. Then I checked it with my teachers here, right? I had both my realtor, my mortgage broker confirm. Then to me, there was no scary decision because I had the information I needed. So then we just went for it. Yes, yeah, that seems like an easy move. How'd you, how did you decide who, what was a good realtor? Because I found that finding a realtor is not as simple as we think. I've had some really bad ones and I've had some great ones. But what, what has been your kind of tactic to find who's who in that zoo? Sure. <laughs> I like that. Who's who in the zoo. <laughs> so this was, for me, this was a horrible process. Right. My husband and I at the time were living in the Bronx. Um, real estate in New York city clearly is kind of crazy. There are a ton of different real estate agents. I must've called probably 50 different real estate brokers down in the Bronx. They all, if I can get any of them to actually answer the phone or call me back, they were just like, Hey, are you pre-approved? And I was like, not yet. I have questions. They were like, Nope, until you get pre-approved, we don't want to talk to you. Until you pre-approve, we don't want to talk to you. And I heard that, you know, 49 times. And I said, okay, I guess I should go get pre-approved. So I thought things were kind of out of order. I still had questions about the whole house buying type idea because we weren't sure what area we were going to be looking into. So I felt like I couldn't get questions answered. So I just went, got pre-approved by my local bank that I already had a relationship with and said, let's just start here. I then... Oliver, I called back those same 49 (laughs) agents. And then I was like, hey, here you go. Here's my piece of paper. I'm pre-approved, like you said. And they were like, well, go online, pick out a house from like Zillow.com or Realtor.com and then tell me which one you want to buy and then I'll sell it to you. And I was like, okay, honey, that's not going to work for me either. Right, (laughs) right. So I reached out to an agent that I knew. It was a friend of mine from school's mother. 
that worked like two hours away in, um, in New York. And I just reached out to her and I was like, Hey, listen, I'm not looking to buy there. I'm looking to buy in this area. Can I just ask you a few questions? Right. Like I'll pay you for your time. Or do you know somebody that actually covers this area? And she introduced me to my now realtor, Michael Torello. He invited us to sit down in like an office when people were still able to meet face to face. He invited us to sit down and answered our questions and just went through that information with us that I needed to feel comfortable to then say, okay, this is the person I want to work with. And to those other 49 realtors out there, you guys really missed out because my husband and I have bought about a million and a half dollars of property in three years. Let's so. go, Becky. <laughs> let's go. Sorry, and we all excited. we used we used we ended up using that same realtor for every single property. Right. That's so. awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. And that's the way it should be. What's funny is I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago, um, by the name of Edmund Chen, and he said, Are you willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do? And the fact that he sat you guys down and went through line by line, hey, this is left, this is right, up, down, mm-hmm. so on and so forth, has resulted in a good chunk of change in his pocket and a good chunk of change in you guys' pocket just off of that yeah. relationship. So that's amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, that to me was something that I realized, and this I've kind of taken through, so I hope maybe that some of your listeners can use this too. What was important to me was to realize what I valued and to find somebody that kind of matched that. So what I really needed is somebody that's responsive. Somebody that will give me time and somebody that had the patience for that. So to me, like I said, if I called a realtor or call anybody and they, if I'm calling you to hire you for a service, and this goes for contractors, brokers, attorneys, if I call you to give you my money and you do not call me back, well, I ain't calling you a second time. (laughs) I am not chasing you to give you my money. Um, And I realized that that was something that I really valued was somebody that really respected my time just as much and was going to be responsive. And that's how I have built my quote unquote team for real estate investing. Right. Now you are specifically your audience and your brand is, is built around women, which I think is awesome because there's, there's very few that are actually out there and really doing the work. What has been the most rewarding for you when it comes to working with your avatar, shall we call her? Sure. So first of all, I want to say that Lady Landlords, we are not anti-men. We are just supportive of women. Um, as I mentioned, my realtor is a man. I, w- I do work a lot with, with men in this industry, and we're not against that in any way, shape, yeah, or form. It doesn't say anti-guy, Lady Landlords. I'm no. Just, I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. So, exactly. I want to make that clear. We are not anti-men. Right. But what we really were able to do is to create almost a safe haven for women to come and get answers to their questions and get the confidence that they need to go out there and speak from a place of knowledge. And that's what I think is really kind of cool about it. And just so you know, a little backstory on it, Lady Landlords actually started out of the pandemic. It was something my my husband had lost his job. He was home. I My reaction to the entire world being shut down was, oh my God, we need to go buy more property. <laughs> That's the right reaction though. That was the right reaction. Exactly. I need, exactly. Like this is my opportunity. That was my reaction. My husband clearly thought I was nuts. My husband was like, no, like squirrel away money. And I'm like, no, we need to get it into investments. Um, I promised him I would not buy a house in 2020. And I totally broke that um, because of the pandemic. But at the, at that beginning in March, April of last year, like I said, he didn't think that buying property made was the best idea. And many people would agree with him. I disagreed. Like I said, I'm a little bit more of the risk taker. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what I'm going to do then? I'm just going to go online and make friends with a bunch of strangers that want to talk real estate. <laughs> and that was actually how Lady Landlords began. That's 
That's actually pretty cool because you just took it. And what's funny is uh, Warren Buffett says, when you see investors running to it, run away. When you see them running away, run to. And that's the exact thought process you had. <laughs> and clearly it worked out very well for you because, you know, now yeah. you're, you're doing the lady landlords thing. And what's really interesting is how cool your brand is. Your brand is, as far as I can tell, is super centered, not centered, but definitely aimed at the right target, at the heart, the colors and the, the way it's laid out, all that great stuff. So, yeah, that's an excellent job on your part on that. Um, Thank so, you. <laughs> so I always tell people, I'm like, I did, I didn't, when I went to grad school, they taught me absolutely nothing about running a Facebook group, but yeah. <laughs> we, oh, we figured talk, it out over yeah, the Yeah, let's year. talk about that. Let's talk about the Facebook group because that's super impactful for many people who are through the pandemic, like you said. Yeah. What has been, uh, for those who are afraid of it, I'm going to get make it worse. What has been the worst, <laughs> the worst part of dealing with the Facebook group and how do you tackle it? How'd you solve the problem? I don't even know if I want to mention this, but I will. <laughs> um, the most difficult part over the past year is that there are people that disagree with being landlords. There are people that, that feel that, oh that housing is a basic need that therefore should be given to as free to everyone. Um, so over the past year with the pandemic happening and many people being out of work, those, those groups and those cohorts have actually really grown and they have become really kind of trolls against those of us that are in involved in real estate investing. Right. So that has probably been the most difficult part was really making sure that people are there for the right reasons to keep our community safe. Um, wow. That would probably be the most difficult thing. Wow. Well, shout out to the trolls for letting us know that we're doing something right. You're the best. We thank you. Uh, exactly. I'm sh I, it wasn't Warren Buffett, but I'm pretty sure somebody else out there said, if you have haters, you're doing something right. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's awesome. Okay. So what's what I find really interesting is that you've done a lot of work, particularly in New York. Mm -hmm. New York is a tricky market from what I understand. Um, what has... How did you, what kind of research were you doing when you're doing the research for your properties and what are you looking for in a city like New York for those who are listening, who are in like the major cities? Sure. I do get a lot of questions about that since I bought in New York, um, high cost of living areas. People sure. tend to have questions when they live in more urban areas that have that higher cost, right. um, more of the kind of your coastal areas too. So for me, what was important was I... I needed to come up with my criteria. And I think that's a step that a lot of people skip. You see a lot of times either in lady landlords or other Facebook groups, people saying like, Hey, what's a, what's a good deal? Or is this good enough cash flow?" <laughs> and really the answer to that is that depends on you. What nice. might be a good cash flow to me for a half a million pro million dollar property here in New York is going to be very different than what good cash flow means to you buying a $50,000 property in Iowa. Right. So I think people really need to, one, have their expectations clear on what the market would actually dictate them back. Yeah. And two, have a good criteria of what you consider a good deal. So are you in it for the cash flow? Are you in it for the appreciation? What types of factors are you looking for? And people need to stick to those. I also feel that I see often people saying like, hey, I want to have a rental property. I want that monthly cash flow. And then they'll read a story or you know, listen to someone on a podcast like this that, you know, made 50 grand flipping a house. And they're like, oh my God, I want to go, I'm going to go flip a house just like he did because that, that sounds amazing. Right. But that person doesn't realize that they work two jobs and have four kids. So property management of a full gut rehab 
might not exactly be a good fit for them. Right. So I think that people need to really start with what criteria they're looking for mm-hmm. and kind of follow that through. So for me, purchasing in New York, like I said, the first property that we had was a house hack. So that was actually for our own residents. So it made sense. Um, I'm sorry. I'm one of those people. I ain't living in Jersey. Um, I'm a New Yorker. So, um, you know, so I wasn't, so I wasn't willing to kind of make that change. So it was, what am I willing to do? What am I not willing to do? And then act accordingly. So within New York, then you really, what you have to do is you have to get a little more creative on how you're going to come up with down payments and the funding for those properties. So house act was easy. I could put down very a minimal amount with owner occupied mortgages. Right. But then from there, it was, what can we do to either find off market properties? What can I do to find properties that were a little bit farther away from my area since I self-manage everything, but still reasonable for me to be able to do that? Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. Having the ability to and I've seen this a couple times, people knowing your numbers and knowing your criteria makes it a lot mm-hmm. easier for your realtor and your team to make things happen for you. Because when you go Correct. and say, you know, I don't know if I want to do a duplex or a triplex or a single, they're going to look at you like you're silly because now they're just looking for everything. They can't they can't narrow it down. So that makes absolute, absolute sense. Becky, what's been your favorite property so far? We as as real estate investors, we say don't get emotional, but let's be honest, we all have one. We're like, yeah, that was a W. What has <laughs> been your favorite so far? So I think all of mine are W's. Okay, um, <laughs> I like that. So I let me. I'm going to share then about my what I call my COVID baby, right? Please. The property that I bought in 2020. Okay. So this is the reason I like this one and I want to share it because it was something that I really had to pivot from from our other properties. Okay. What we've been buying before that was lo- the larger multifamily, so closer to that four units right. down in much more of an urban area outside of New York City in Yonkers, the Bronx, those types of areas. Right. Um, when COVID hit, like I said, my initial reaction was we got to buy more property. So, (laughs) so I was like, okay, but we don't really know what's going on right now. Market is changing. What, what are the trends? What are people starting to do? And what we realized was a lot of people were actually leaving cities and wanted to go a little bit farther out, right? I lived in Manhattan for years and I paid $2,000 a month for a studio apartment. Well, if I was living with somebody or now had to work from home, there's not a lot of space. We don't, we don't have extra rooms. You know, anytime somebody that I talked to was always like, Oh, come stay with me. I have an extra bedroom. I'm like, who are you? Like, it just, it sounds so, (laughs) because nobody has extra bedrooms in in Manhattan. Um, so I knew people were looking for more space. They wanted that green space, but they still weren't sure when we'd all have to kind of go back to an office. So I knew that it couldn't be something where they were looking to move too far from their jobs from the city. So my husband and I agreed that we would look between within an hour of the city. Okay. So then that way it was still something that we can personally manage. An hour is not too bad. Right. We also wanted a place that was really turnkey. We didn't want to have to do a lot of work to it because it was going to be an hour away. We didn't have contractors there at the time and know all of the different vendors that we possibly needed. And third, which was also tended to be a little bit controversial at the time, was we wanted a place where we were inheriting tenants. Wow. We wanted to find people that were there, that were secure, that were paying through the pandemic. And we wanted to make sure that they knew that they would be rewarded for taking good care of a property and that they were not going to lose their homes during a pandemic. So that was really important to us. I can only imagine how scary it was for these poor tenants 
knowing that their owner was selling, that their landlord was selling the property and that they might've had to find a new home during the pandemic. Right. So that to me was incredibly important was to make sure they had continued housing mm-hmm. and one, and could actually stay in their home during that time. So we wanted to inherit tenants in that multifamily. That's holy. I, so there's, I can tell you right now, cause I've, I've looked at some larger multifamilies and we're talking 16, 20, somewhere around there. And it's mm-hmm. really tough to find properties that continue to do well over the pandemic, particularly when their mom and pop managed. So mm-hmm. I've seen, I just recently saw a 92% occupancy rate which was amazing for covid but to be able to see that in new york and to make that happen that's phenomenal what what tactics do you use to keep your tenants motivated i think that's something that's really important that we don't hear about a lot what kind of tactics are you losing to keep your tenants motivated sure so what's important for us is open communication and Mm -hmm. systems so we have like a very clear lease It not only has everything that we kind of need to do from like a legal standpoint, but it really also answers a lot of their questions on procedures, maintenance requests, anything else of that kind of size. So when we go through that, it is not only our lease, but it's also kind of like a guide to like living here. We also usually do have like a conversation with them of what like our expectations are from them and what they can expect from us. And when I say that, I mean how we're going to respond back to them how fast we're going to be able to take care of maintenance problems. What are things that we take care of? What things that they take care of? And that has really set us on a very good foot. And having that open communication has really helped us throughout the pandemic in March of 2020, when here in New York, things really started to get shut down. We actually proactively reached out to all of our tenants saying, Hey, we don't know what's going on. You guys don't know what's going on. Let's just make sure that there's an open dialogue. If you need help if you're not going to be able to pay April's rent, if you're fine for April, but then something changes in May, just stay in touch with us and we'll figure out something in some way and let's kind of work together. And I feel that our tenants have been really receptive to that. And we have tenants that have been staying with us now for a good couple of years, which is just fantastic. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, uh, wow, that's pretty good. I mean, just the the pre-call by itself had to be bound in a way more useful than just about anything else you could have done, really. Um, yeah. you know, people feel more comfortable when you reach out to them as opposed to them having to reach out to you. Uh, and I, yeah. I, I discovered that recently with a bad tenant <laughs> that I just had. Um, <laughs> it is what it is that happens. Okay, so Becky, one thing that we haven't talked about much, and I, I wanted to make sure I didn't take away from you as the boss lady that you are, <laughs> but being the boss lady, Mm-hmm. I find it, and this is kind of a selfish question because I, I am married and I have, you know, wife and kids. How have you integrated your husband and how has that process been? Um, because, you know, normally one fits the other, right? In my relationship, I'm the reckless one like you are. I'm the <laughs> wild one, right? Mm-hmm. But ha- I'm curious what your thoughts on how, how you do that, how you integrate that and how you guys have figured out how to work together and not bring problems home. Sure. So one of the most important things that I've, that we've done Mm -hmm. is you need to make sure to identify each other's strengths and things that those people enjoy or are okay with doing, and then really kind of assign it almost as responsibilities. So my husband and I have rather delineated responsibilities. So we're not kind of crossing over each other's, we're not stepping on each other's feet. We're not um, kind of getting into arguments or confused on, I thought I was handling that, but now you're kind of handling that. Right. We really have like our own, we stay in our own lane and we're both very good at the parts that we do, which only makes us stronger as right. that couple that's investing. And then 
even when then we're staying in our own lanes, there needs to be a time of communication where I say like, hey, this is what I'm working on. I need to inform you. Let's make the decisions that we need to. Hey, what are you working on? Okay, what what information do you need to give me and what decisions do we need to discuss from your part? And that has actually been really successful for us. So I tend to be more of, I handle more of like the legal side of things, the accounting side of things, Mm -hmm. and more of, you know, next acquisition, deal analysis, that type of side. And my husband is more day-to-day operations. So he handles either like rent collections, maintenance, maintenance issues, Um, my husband also, he is my secret weapon for tenant screening. Um, I am, yes, he's fantastic. (laughs) I should like lend him out. So (laughs) I'm the type of personality that I love everybody that I meet. I think absolutely everybody's fantastic. Um, and everybody's going to be like my new best friend. Like I'm always excited when I meet people. My husband on the other hand is like, um, that person like totally lied to you or like that person is, I don't really know about him. Um, so my husband really has a good hold on people's character. Right. Um, and meanwhile, I'm just like, no, like let's rent to everybody. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's not going to work out. So it's really been helpful for him, even with my realtor. Mm-hmm. At, like I said, when I met my realtor, we sat down and had a great conversation with him and I left and I was just, my first question was to my husband, like, Hey, how did you feel about him? Right. And because I needed my husband to really kind of sign off because my husband just picks up on people's cues much better than I do. So even that, that I'm like, okay, well then I'm going to default to him because that's, that's his strength. So let's utilize your strengths, stay in your lane, but then still have that communication and make sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to decision-making. That's, that's a tactic. It's good (laughs) to know there's somebody else who has a spouse who says, nah, they didn't, they weren't. Cause I do the exact same thing you do. Like, yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. (laughs) You know, let's go. My wife's like, nah, you need to sit back, buddy. I Chill out, relax. You know, that kind of thing. So that's awesome to hear that. That is really yeah. awesome to hear that. So Becky, I, we're going to, all right, ladies and gentlemen, so we got to, I know we're against time. So Becky, I definitely want to, we're going to have to have you on again because I like yeah. this conversation. I've enjoyed this conversation. Sure. Um, but in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. we're going to kick to our segments. So, or one of the segments at least, and then we'll go to the next one. So Becky, we asked two traditional questions, and I've told you about these questions beforehand, just so you know, yes. ladies and gentlemen, she has been prepared a little bit this time. Most guests don't get prepared. I want to make sure she was. All right, so first question is, what would you give as your troop to tax for those who are listening right now to get to where you are? Sure. Um, I have to quote Nike, just do it. Um, as I mentioned before, I feel like there are a <laughs> lot of it. investors that just get stuck in that analysis paralysis, right. and there's no reason for that. There are, when you are listening to podcasts like Oliver's here, when you are reading on forums, listening to um, tapes, uh, books on tape to make sure that you understand what's going on in real estate, you now have that education. You are in that position where you can make an educated decision to move forward. So now it's time to act. And listen, your first deal might not be your best deal, but you're going to learn so much from it that then you're going to be able to go on to your second, third, fourth, fifth deal. Then you're going to be able to move on from that. But until you have one, you can't have two. So my encouragement is really to go out there, get the information you need, and then move forward. Then say, okay, we are doing this. So if you have to set yourself a timeline, a deadline to say, okay, I'm going to listen to five more podcasts. I'm going to read two more books. And then you know what? January 1st. I'm going to start looking for my property. That is perfectly fine. But get in the game sooner than later. Just do it. 
and you mm-hmm. can't have two until you have one. Holy cow. <laughs> that's such it's, that's good great advice. Man. That's really, really good advice. Um that's something people don't really realize most of the time when they get into real estate investing is once you do the first one, the second one's easier. Once you do the second one, the third one is easier and so on and so forth. So that's really good advice. Mm-hmm. Okay, Becky, next question. Mm-hmm. What question do you wish you were asked more often? And what's the answer to that question? Sure. My question that I really wish I was asked more was, how do I get started in real estate? I want all of you listening to this to get involved in real estate and start working towards the goals that you have financially. So I want more and more people to continue to ask me how they can actually get started. And my answer to that question would be to almost work backwards. Here, I think, just as I mentioned earlier, thinking about your criteria, I think it's incredibly important to figure out what your goal is. What are you working towards? And then kind of take the steps back and say, what do I need to get there? So for example, one of the things that I had mentioned before was kind of people having a little bit of, um, oh, what's that called? Um, when they, when you're trying to think of a, when you try to move from a bunch of different things and chase other people's kind of ideas, right. I want to make sure that doesn't happen to your listeners. So what's important there is for everybody to think about what their goals are. If you want to replace your income, great. How are we going to do that? Probably more of a cash flow type strategy, which means rentals are probably going to be more your your way. If you're saying, "Hey, I need to be able to quit my job tomorrow, therefore I need, you know, more of that lump sum of cash." Well, then you know what? Probably doing a rehab um, is going to be a little bit more your speed. Mm. So make sure that you're working on something that matches what your goals are, but then also matches your lifestyle. Like I said, if project management is not something that excites you or you have something personally going on in your life that the idea of dealing with contractors and the headaches from that on a daily basis, well, that might not be a good fit for you at this current time. So make sure to set your goal, pick the right strategy that matches that goal, Mm -hmm. and then put the plan into place to make those two things happen. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Becky with the dimes and gems in here. What is happening? Oh, my goodness. All right, <laughs> Becky, that's fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I almost kicked the camera over. So, uh, okay, okay, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to cut out here. Uh, this is the end of the main part, and you'll be, be able to tune in for the solo episode where I talk about what Becky and I talk about later, as well as the FAQ. But for now, Becky, I want you to give them your information so we can pause after that and we can kick into the FAQ. So go for it, Becky. Sure. For anyone that identifies as female, feel free to join Lady Landlords on Facebook. And otherwise, you can find me on Instagram at at BeckyNova24. Perfect. We appreciate you, Becky. Thank you again for coming on. Um, We're going to cut here and pause here. I'm Oliver Perry. This is the Oliver Perry Show. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Oliver Perry Show. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, be sure to follow Oliver at The Oliver Perry on Instagram, Oliver Perry on LinkedIn, and The Oliver Perry Show on YouTube. Until next time, take care.